All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, we'll be going from verse 1 to verse 23. You know, there is, there is this old Chinese proverb that says, May you live in interesting times. And it's long been debated, is that a blessing or is that a curse? Because a lot of people use interesting to describe a lot of things that we might have other words for. Um, but, you know, if you had to choose one polite word to describe what this world is like right now, interesting um, might be the one that would fit the bill. You know, and the same could be said for the time that Daniel and his friends lived in Babylon. Um, we don't know everything about Daniel's life. We know that he spent 70 years in exile um, from the, the, the beginning of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar uh, all the way through the fall of, of Babylon and the, the rise of the Persian Empire. Cyrus the Great was the, uh, the, the, the Persian uh, emperor that allowed him or, or allowed the Jews to go back into uh, Judah. So, so we know that, that Daniel was there for a very long time. And as we read the book, you're going to realize that we don't have a, a, a whole bunch of stories from the life of Daniel. We have a few, and then we get into the more prophetic uh, section. So maybe a lot of his life was boring. Maybe a lot of his life was ordinary and uninteresting. But when it gets interesting, it gets very interesting. And that's what we're going to see today. Um, when Daniel's life gets interesting, to say it more bluntly, he's put in a situation where only God can save his life. And that's what we're going to see um, th this morning. Uh, Daniel had to live in Babylon and serve the king, but his loyalty rests with the Lord. So he was in this interesting situation where he did have to do what the king said, but ultimately Daniel's role and responsibility and his first and only love was God. And so when we watch Daniel respond to these situations that are overwhelmingly secular, when we read this passage, you're going to see this is an overwhelmingly secular uh, situation that Daniel is placed into, but he has to turn to God to help him in this situation because ultimately only God could deliver him. In the ancient Near East, dreams were considered to be visions of the future. They actually said that it was um, the shadow that the future cast while it was walking forward. And so these, these kings, a lot of times, especially in the ancient Near East, they put a lot of value in dreams. And so if they had a dream, they would gather together magicians and, and diviners is the, is, is the kind of the inclusive term there um, that, that would help them to interpret and understand the dreams. There were books written about these things. There was all kinds of uh, resources that these guys usually used to interpret the dreams of the kings. Now, the kings usually felt like these dreams had some foreboding. In other words, it was telling some bad news that was going to happen. Um, and so they had to take steps to avoid that. Reference back to the Pharaoh's dream of the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine and how through the work of another um, you know, Jewish exile, essentially, the Pharaoh was able to be prepared for that disaster and not be swallowed up by it. Well, this was the same sort of idea, at least, that Nebuchadnezzar, when he has his dream, although Nebuchadnezzar has a different method of going about getting the answer or the interpretation of his dreams. Um, and so this is, this is the goal uh, of, of Nebuchadnezzar is to find out what does this dream really mean. And so he has a way to, to go about it. And when it doesn't work the way he wants it to, that's when it really puts Daniel um, in, in a very dangerous place or in a place in which he could lose his life. So that's the backdrop for this passage, um, just to kind of get you prepared for it. And the sermon in the sentence is, um, God is all-powerful. 
and in control of the events of this world. And he is willing to share his wisdom with those who faithfully follow him. That could be the sermon and the sentence for nearly any sermon you ought to be preaching. But we realize that in this particular case, I think it's specific, but we need to realize that God is all-powerful. He is completely in control, let the listener understand. And we depend on him, and he helps us through. Okay. All right, so let's read this passage. It's not too terribly long, uh, kind of interesting. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely a narrative that moves along. So let's get started here. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, now just to kind of, if you're keeping its score at home, so remember Daniel was to, to, to be in exile, and for three years he was going to eat these vegetables and then be presented before the king. At the end of our passage, uh, he was presented before the king. He and um, his, his friends were found to be more uh, wise than, ten times more wise than any of the, the people that the king had. Well, Daniel became an exile in the first year of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. Three years later, he'd be presented before the king and, and proved to be ten times better than, than any of his other wise men. This is year two of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is before he's even proven in that sense. And it's extremely likely Nebuchadnezzar forgot who he was in between these two scenarios because he was just that much of a, you know, an inwardly focused sort of guy. So anyway, this, this is a story in the middle of this whole eating vegetables, not eating the king's food, you know, and, and, and living a different life. So just, just remember that as far as when we, keep in, when we keep in step with this. So in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servant the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. 
Notice that. Not just the ones that were standing before him saying, hey, you're asking too much, but all the wise men of Babylon were to be destroyed. Verse 13. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king, uh, the, the, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? So Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven, seek the mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Okay, so what we have here to begin with is a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's had a dream, and it, and it kind of set him on edge. And he wanted to know what was the meaning of this dream. And more specifically, what do I need to do about this dream? So he was trying to prepare for the future. Not the future of God's plans or God's wills or anything like that, but he was wanting to prepare for his own future. If there were steps he needed to take to prepare his kingdom, he wanted to do those things. If there was something that he could do to change it or to avoid it, he wanted to do those things. This was a supremely secular challenge. Supremely secular. There was, there was, no, there was no thought to what God wanted. There was no thought to God's will. There was, there, there was no envisioning of pleasing God with this whole process. So I, I did want to mention that so that when we recognize uh, what God does in answering this prayer for Daniel, it, it's not so that, um, it, it's not because God necessarily agrees with what Nebuchadnezzar wants. It's purely to, uh, to, to preserve, to protect, and to provide for his people in this secular situation. They're stuck in a terrible situation, and God is providing for them and protecting them and preserving them in that terrible situation. He isn't pulling them out of that situation. He's leaving them in it, but he is protecting them and preserving them through that situation. And so I do want to point that out because... When you look at Old Testament, New Testament, you go all the way through, you see that a lot of times God's people are left in the terrible time, but God preserves them through it. God works with them, helps them, provides for them through it. Even in a situation like this, where what Daniel's actually asking for, we might not even think to ask for this. God help me interpret the dream of this pagan king so he can improve his kingdom. 
doesn't seem like something we might would ask. But in this particular situation, it's exactly what God gives Daniel. So, let's get into this. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar and the Diviners. It sounds like a rock band from maybe the 60s or 70s. Um, like many ancient kings, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he was convinced that um, it, it, within it was encoded information about the future. That's what he thought, was there was something in there that he needed. Uh, and in the same situation, most kings would have called their diviners and called their magicians and called their people in, told them the dream, and had them to interpret it. And they would have referred to their books or their wisdom, or they'd have just made something up, and they would have interpreted it for the king, and the king would have went about his merry way. Nebuchadnezzar has a different approach um, because he actually wants his diviners and magicians and Chaldeans and all those people to tell him his dream and then give him the interpretation for it. This was a way for Nebuchadnezzar to test them. It's very possible that he didn't trust their craft anyway, that he didn't trust that, that they knew things that other people didn't know, and so this was the test. If you can tell me the dream, surely then you can interpret it. So maybe he suspected them all along of not being quite so wise. Now, of course the diviners could not tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpre- or the, 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 what dream he dreamed. Um, and in fact, they say, not only can we not do it, but there isn't a man alive that can do it. What you're asking for is something that nobody but the gods can do. And they say the gods don't live among the flesh, meaning the gods don't have any desire whatsoever to reveal that information to people. Now, they believe in gods that don't want to help the people, or at least don't want to reveal their plans for the future to people. In fact, they don't always believe that their gods control events, just that their gods are involved or have some role in the events. And so these guys say, what you're asking for is absolutely beyond what anybody would ever ask. They say, most mighty kings ask for the interpretation. You're asking for the dream itself. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was not known for moderation, And so his response in this situation was to burn the world down. Absolutely every wise man, I want them all dead. I I want every wise man dead. And you have to remember that these exiles, many of these exiles that were brought from Judah, as, as well, presumably from other nations, but these exiles that were brought from Judah, they were brought to be wise men. They were brought to be diviners. They were brought to be the same kind of thing of what, what Nebuchadnezzar had brought into his ranks there. So th- this, this decree fell upon not just these, these magicians and enchanters and all those folks, but it also fell on Daniel uh, and, and his friends as, as well as many others. And so this decree goes out to kill them all. Now, the thing that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar says he's going to do, he says, you're going to be torn limb from limb. You probably don't need a preacher to explain to you exactly what that means. Uh, But the other part where he says, then your house will come to to ruin, it actually could be translated several different ways, and maybe your Bibles have it some different ways. But it can mean that your house will become a dunghill. Again, you don't need a preacher to explain that for you. Uh, Your house can become a, a, a king's gift. In other words, the king could then give it to someone else. Or it can be the very literal, your house will become ruins. In other words, I'm going to crush your house. So it could be any number of those things. But whatever it is, it's not just the man. In other words, the the diviner, the, the, um, the magician, the Chaldean, whatever, it wasn't just him that was at risk. It was his family. And so this was a pretty severe punishment, and it was going to be true for every wise man. Nebuchadnezzar was going to send this um, decree out to every single person. So this was a terrible, terrible thing. Um, 
this is one of those impossible situations uh, that makes it necessary uh, for believers, for people that stand for God, to display His distinct nature from all the other things that people believe in. And so God is going to use this event, He's going to use this desire of the king to understand his dream to really uh, pour out his own uh, nature, his own distinct nature into, uh, in, into this story. So let's look at Daniel's response. Daniel's faith in God, or Daniel's faith in God's faithfulness, okay? So Daniel hears about the fact that all the wise men are going to die, and obviously that, that falls on him as well. So some things I want to point out right away is that Daniel doesn't panic. Um, he doesn't try to, you know, go pack his belongings and run away. Um, he meets it with uh, intelligence and courage. Let's put ourselves in Daniel's shoes for just a moment, though, in, in which it might, how he might would have thought this through. Daniel was a survivor of this destruction, or at least the defeat of Judah, the siege of Jerusalem. The, he was in exile, brought over to Babylon. He had been put through this test of, of eating the king's food. All of this stuff was so foreign to what he probably thought his life would be like as he was being raised up as a youth. Daniel would have been a, a, a young man that would have been taught the scriptures. He would have probably assumed that his life was going to revolve around worshiping God, going to the temple, making sacrifices, studying the word of God, teaching the word of God to other people. That would have probably been sort of the, the way that he thought his life was going until the Babylonians throw up and, or show up and throw everything into some kind of chaos for him. They're not going to get over that real soon. But anyway, the, the idea is that now Daniel is, is going to be killed for something that he didn't even do or didn't have anything to do with. Maybe, maybe he had been tempted to say, well, all of this is just meaningless. It's all pointless. There's, there's no reason for me to strive and to go on if every time the king gets in a bad mood, he's just going to order everybody to die, even if I'm not a part of the, the, the conversation at all. But instead, he responded differently. He responded first, and, and we have to see this as God's favor resting upon Daniel and, and, and the people of Israel that had, had been in this land that they didn't really belong in. He has favor with the captain of the guard. And so he speaks to the captain of the guard and says, hey, you know, I understand you're going to kill me, but, but why? Like, you know, let, let's, let's have a conversation like men first. And, and, and the captain of the guard explains it to him, explains why, why he's going to die, why, why this has to happen and happen so urgently. And then Daniel goes and makes an appointment with the king. What I love about this is that Daniel goes and makes that appointment with the king before God answers his prayer. So before God answers his prayer, before at least in the text, before he prays the prayer, before he has the answer, before he has this wisdom, he goes and makes an appointment with the king to interpret the dream. He has that much confidence, that much faith, that God is going to be faithful to his word, that God is going to answer that prayer, that God is going to give him the wisdom that he needs to, to survive in this land and to continue to proclaim the name of God, that he goes ahead and makes that appointment. That is very, very important. Now, here's the thing. When we look at the way that Daniel responded to this, we have to see his faith and trust that even in a foreign land, God's in control. That God is still sovereign in this land that is not ruled by God's people. Now, growing up in Judah, 
You would look at the king and you would say, the king is making mistakes, but this is God's land. This is God's country. This, is, this belongs to God. So there is this hope that God is going to straighten this king out. God straightened the king out a time or two. So there's this hope. But you're living in Babylon now with a pagan king. God is not named among their gods. And so it might be different. But Daniel still trusted in the sovereignty of God. So this dream... And we have to understand this as well, that even in this secular situation, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know the future, how to prepare his kingdom. This dream was not merely sent to warn or to tell Nebuchadnezzar about the future, but it was also sent to show the difference between Daniel and his friends and all the other diviners, and more specifically to show the difference between God, the real true one God, and all the gods that the Babylonians worship. This was sent to define the differences, to draw that line and say, here are the true people of God, and here is everything that you've been putting your confidence into. That's what this was, was a great divider, one thing that would sort out so many people. This dream would provide the context where God could display His power, God could display His wisdom, and at the same time, He could provide and protect uh, his people who were living in this foreign land. Now, we do see this favor that God gives to Daniel, and we'll see this over and over through the many stories because e even in some of the instances where Daniel, by the hand of the, the, the monarch, is put into a terrible situation, the monarch still cares for Daniel. And this isn't because these monarchs were just really nice people that, that loved everybody. It's because God gave his people favor in this foreign land. Why did he do that? Why did God give his people favor in a foreign land? Well, let's get to that. You see, Daniel goes back to his friends. And in this particular point in the passage, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the Babylonian names. This isn't the way that they are referred to. Instead, they're referred to as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're Hebrew names. And it's very likely that that was there to remind the reader that they were about to lean on the attributes of God that those names refer to. Those names refer to the, the Lord's grace, the Lord's uniqueness, and the Lord's willingness to help His people in distress. Now, as they begin to pray, as they begin to go through this process, they actually echo the prayer of Solomon when he was praying for the dedication of the temple. So way back in 1 Kings chapter 8, um, I'm going to read to you 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46 through 53. It's more than we need to, to get the point, but I just want you to notice the, the mindset of Solomon. Remember, wisest, wisest person ever, the mindset of Solomon and his prayer, and then apply that to what we're going to see, not just this passage, but as we see Daniel and his friends deal with the world that they're in, in exile. So this is part of that prayer to dedicate the temple. And he's talking about his people, or the, the people of Israel. He says, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted pervasively, perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive, 
and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the, ho the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you in all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt and from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, give, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage as you declared through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So, Daniel and his friends appeal to the mercy of God. They, they appeal to that desire for God uh, to grant them favor before these unrighteous men. And then within that, they're also asking for power and they're asking for wisdom, and God gives them both. Here's what I wanted to point out about this prayer with, with, with Solomon. Now, Solomon didn't, didn't know, I don't think, that they were going to be carried away into exile, but he thought that was a possibility, and absolutely, it, it was a possibility. It was absolutely a possibility, uh, and, it, and it absolutely did happen. But look at the prayer, and look at how God answered that prayer through generations, what I find so interesting is that Daniel and his friends, they're, they're going about and they're thinking about this prayer. They're thinking about the mercy that God's going to show them, the favor that God's going to show them before these, these pagan people. And, and some of those ideas had to come out of a prayer for the dedication of the temple, which is now laying in ruins. Pretty interesting when you think about it. That, that they, were, they were praying and thinking along the same lines so that that temple that was kind of the visible representation of God's blessing of His people, it's now gone, but yet they're still thinking along those same lines and God is still answering that same prayer. That is important. That is so important that we recognize that. And so there they are praying this prayer. And as we know, when this, when this happens... God answers this prayer. God answers this prayer like He answers the other prayers that Daniel will have. Just like He answers the prayers that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah will have. He answers their prayers. Notice what Solomon says at the end of his prayer. He says that you have chosen these people, you have set them apart be your heritage. The Christian life today is not about leaving our legacy. That's not what it's about. The Christian life is about proclaiming the legacy of God. So why was Daniel in exile? To proclaim the glory of God to a pagan nation. And he's absolutely going to do that. 
It's not about our glory. It's not about Daniel's glory. It's not about any man's glory. It is about God's glory. And so as, da as Daniel was placed, he and his friends were placed in Babylon. They were placed there so that God could receive glory in that situation. And from a secular point of view, you might say, you mean to tell me that God just used those people as pawns to get his name out, to get his message out? From a secular point of view, you might say that. But as you trust God and you love God and you begin to depend on God, you see that he is using and redeeming these situations. And Daniel, he can correct me when we get to heaven if I'm wrong. I don't think Daniel would have had his life any other way. I don't think he would have had his life any other way because he was where God wanted him. He was serving God the way that God was calling him to serve. That does not mean that Daniel wanted Jerusalem to fall. That does not mean that he wouldn't have done anything in his power to change that result. That does not mean that he loved serving this pagan king. And that does, definitely doesn't mean that he wanted to leave Judah and go live in Babylon. But he was where God wanted him. And one other thing that I'll say, and I don't think this is in my notes. If I put it there, I forgot I did. God's not going to put you in a situation that he's not going to give you the power to stand for him in. If you're in that situation, he's going to give you that power. He's going to give you what you need to stand for him. It's probably going to look different than you imagine it. I mean, we know humans well enough to know that Daniel and his friends probably imagined if they were committed to proclaiming God to this foreign nation on that travel from Jerusalem over to Babylon, they might have thought about how can we proclaim God in this place? I would guess that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah didn't think, well, I know. Why don't we get ourselves thrown in a fiery furnace? That'll show them. I doubt that was the, con the conversation. I doubt Daniel was thinking, hey, you know what? I'll become a lion tamer. That'll show. I doubt any of those things were part of their conversations. But God had a plan, and he used the situation to bring glory to him. Now, when we are placed in a situation, there's a lot of times that we are in places where we have to trust in God alone. I mean, we do live in a world where if you place your trust in man without fail, you will be disappointed. Without fail. It does not matter what safeguards are there. It does not matter how much you think everything should go one way. Without fail, you will be disappointed. But when you're in a situation where you must trust in God, you must trust in God alone, that situation is not comfortable. But we can be confident that God is faithful and He will support us in our hour of need. We can definitely trust that. He will deliver us from our greatest distress even if the deliverance does not look exactly like what we're going to see in the book of Daniel. What Daniel and his friends goes through is nothing short of miraculous. What we go through may seem normal to other people, but it will be miraculous to us because God is still going to be faithful and carry us through. As for Daniel, God answers his prayer, and, and we see that he does reveal the mystery, and obviously I didn't read enough for you to know what the mystery is. That's why you've got to come back next week and listen to that, or you can read ahead. You've got a copy of the book. Um, but either way, it's evident that God will never abandon his people, um, especially when he's placed them in these distressing times. We must maintain our faith in God because he will never abandon his faithfulness to us, especially in the most difficult of times. 
This is why or how Christians have a great testimony. It's because if you take a Christian and you take a non-Christian and you put them both in the same situation, we are supposed to thrive because of God. We are supposed to thrive because of God. Now, thrive by God's definition, not by man's definition, but the world will recognize that as thriving. So, we live in the land of the free, the home of the brave. Christians are supposed to thrive in America. But Christians haven't always had a place like America to live in. They have lived under tyrants. They, they, they have lived under terrorists with a crown on their head. They, they, they have lived in empires where they weren't even legally allowed to worship Jesus. And they have always thrived. No matter what happens in this land, we can thrive. And, and the reason is, not because we're smarter than everybody else, I'm certainly not smarter than everybody else. Sometimes I can be tricked about how to get in a medicine bottle. And I think they intend for you to be able to get into those things. But the reality is we can depend on the wisdom of God. And with the wisdom of God, we can then function. We can skillfully navigate our way through this world. Even though we may not be better than anyone else, we are faithfully following God's word. Using his wisdom, we find our way through. So now let's look at the power and wisdom of God. After receiving the answer to his prayer, which is what we see verse 19 tells us, Daniel doesn't immediately run to the king and say, I know something no one else does. Daniel doesn't do that. Instead, Daniel spends some time in praise, glorifying God for what he has done. He praises God for both the power and the wisdom that God has given to him in his life. This praise reminds us that the Lord alone possesses the power to control world events. You may be watching the events of the world and saying, this is out of control. No, this is in control. The nations will rage, but God is in control. You may also look at this world and you may say that no one knows what's going on. Well, God in His wisdom does know what's going on. He knows everything that's going on and He can be trusted. This whole series that we're about to read over the next week or two is going to reveal that God knows not just what's going to happen next, but God knows generation after generation after generation down the line of what's going to happen. He is in full control of it. Nothing surprises Him, even the things that have never been done before. Aren't you tired of hearing words like unprecedented? God knew that was going to happen. The word that I'm tired of is amid. I am tired of amid. Every news line I see, amid a pandemic, this happens. I'm, come on, guys. I'm tired of that word. Get a, get a thesaurus. But I'm tired of some of these words. But God is not surprised. God is wise. He knows what's going on. And he is completely in control. In the case of Daniel, God revealed the king's dream and the interpretation of that dream. Now, what I want to remind you is this is a secular thing. Like Nebuchadnezzar wants it for his own gain, for his own purpose. But because it was attached to Daniel's life and his protection, God answered this prayer anyway. God is not confined to a little box. He is dynamic. And whatever His people need in a situation, He will provide that. 
God's power and wisdom are the keys to surviving the exile for Daniel and his friends, and they will be the keys for us surviving these interesting times as well. So whatever we might face, whatever it is, trusting in God's power and trusting in his wisdom is the key to surviving these interesting times. So the challenge now facing us, how do we navigate our own interesting times? How do we as believers go from maybe being shell-shocked, maybe being you know, you know, caught flat-footed? We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. When what is right is made to appear to be wrong, what is wrong is celebrated as right, what seems to be common sense is now rejected, truth, reality, all those things seem to be rejected for some other story. What do we do? First of all, we need to pursue God's wisdom. We must pursue God's wisdom. There is no other recourse for us. You know, that's going to lead you down an interesting path. You won't find yourself on the hill of one side or on the hill of the other. You will find yourself walking in the valley between the two where no one else walks. In our country, for example, there's these two sides. There are evil people on both sides. God's path is the path that not many people are walking down. That's the path we need to walk. That's the path we need to seek, and it'll only be revealed to us through the wisdom of God. We don't have to seek the interpretation of dreams, fortunately. Ours is navigating these very weird cultural, political waters that we're in right now. But God will give us the wisdom to do that through His Word. Now here's the important thing. The wisdom of God is most clearly revealed in Jesus Christ who is the Word of God. As we deepen our relationship with Him, we will become examples for this world. Our lives in Christ will serve as an alternative to this chaos that, uh, and sorrow that have always been part of the world. Live in faith of the power and wisdom. I think i got a bad typo there. We might live this life in a way that we don't think is extraordinary. You know, some people say that God sends cancer to Christians and non-Christians to show how Christians can suffer and how we can depend on God. I, I don't know about all that, but what I do know is that when Christians go through these times like this and we seek the wisdom of God and we depend on the power of God, we thrive. Even in the midst of terrible things, we, we are able, by depending on God, Whereas non-Christians, they don't have that source of strength. They might have the resources of the world, but that only gets you so far. And so what I encourage you to do, draw into Jesus Christ. Be like Him in every way that you can be like Him. Leave that shining example that the world will look at and say, that's different. That's different. You know, different is good. There's going to be things about your life, if you follow Jesus that the world is going to hate and reject. And there's going to be things, if you follow Jesus, the world is going to adore. And we just have to realize that sometimes they're going to like us and sometimes they're going to hate us. They're always going to be working against us, but we have to be faithful to God. Let Him decide if you're the good guy or the bad guy today. 
because we have to be His. You belong to Him. Your life in Christ is an example to the world. That's what's important. That's what truly matters. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time that we've had together. And Lord, we know that we live in a time that is, to put it mildly, interesting. I believe it's safe to say, Lord, that, that not a single one in here can live rightly in this world without your guidance. And so, Father, I pray for your wisdom to fall down upon us. Let us pursue you daily in your word. Let us turn to you in prayer with every question that we have. Let us look to Jesus as our example. And I pray that by living that way, we can have a positive influence on this world. This world rages against you in every way possible. They deny everything that you say is true. But they also suffer. They also grieve. And they have no hope. I pray that as they see us, as they see the way that we live, the way that we respond to pain and suffering, the hope that we have, even for life after this life, I pray that that will be a turning point. Not so that we will be celebrated, but so that you will be celebrated. Not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, I pray that you will magnify yourself in each of our lives so that we might reflect your glory to this world in a way that they have not seen before. They have seen self-promotion. They have, they have seen the glorification of man. They have not seen your glory. I pray that we can live in your glory and that they will be changed because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.